Here, here's how it shows up. Trauma shows up in leadership. Is when stress occurs, we pull inward and we do what helps us feel better. And oftentimes what makes us feel better is detrimental to those that we lead. And this is exactly why we see this statistic. 60% of employees say that their direct leader damages their self-esteem. Not because the leaders intend to, it's just in moments of stress, they protect themselves and they leave their people out to dry. And that's that's a self-protection mechanism that's rooted back in some form of past traumas. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to the Intentional Leader Podcast. No matter how you are coming to this show, I hope you leave inspired and with some practical tools to help you lead yourself more effectively and to help you have a higher impact as a leader. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's go make it count. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 94 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. I'm Cal, and I'm really excited to have Ryan Godfordson, PhD, back on the podcast to talk about his exciting new book, The Elevated Leader. This is some fresh, cutting-edge material. Ryan is a cutting-edge mindset author, researcher, and consultant. He currently is a leadership and management professor at the College of Business and Economics at Cal State University Fullerton. He holds a PhD in organizational behavior and human resources from Indiana University and has a BA from Brigham Young University. He is the author of Success Mindsets. If you've heard him before on this podcast, he was here to talk about that book, which ended up being a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller and really, really my favorite book on mindsets. There has been a lot, or not a lot, but there's been, there've been several other books written on mindsets. You've got Carol Dweck's work. You've got Grit by Angela Duckworth. I just love the way Ryan brings all four of the key success mindsets together in his book, Success Mindsets. So if you are unfamiliar with mindsets, I would just recommend going straight to his book and get a really nice overview of the different success mindsets and very practical ways to improve those. But today we dive into the statistics, the not so encouraging statistics on leadership development. We talk about the differences between what he calls or what's called horizontal and vertical development, the three different types or levels of vertical development, what he calls mind 1.0, mind 2.0, and mind 3.0, and why only about 1% of people get to that third level of mind 3.0. You're gonna enjoy that conversation. I think it's really interesting. And we even discuss therapy and how we can help leaders, we as leaders can help deal and become better leaders by dealing with our past trauma and helping to elevate our mindsets. Ryan really is on the cutting edge of leadership thinking. It's always a pleasure to talk with him. There are also two different assessments that Ryan offers on his website, and I put links to both of those in the show notes of this episode. One is to help you figure out where your mental center of gravity is. That's really based on his new work, Mind 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. And then also, if you wanna figure out success mindsets, you can take a separate assessment, it's a mindset assessment on his website. If you just look below the show notes, both of those are there. Uh, I just am so thankful for those of you that are partnering with us at Intentional Leader through Patreon. We had another individual sign up this past couple weeks to be a patron here on Intentional Leader, giving uh, just a few bucks a month, but that really goes a long way to help us 
fund all of the leadership material that we're trying to put out on Intentional Leader. We're working on some stuff on the back end and also just really trying to uh, help leaders be inspired, help them lead themselves, and ultimately help them really affect and impact the world around them. So that's our commitment is to really help you as a leader lead yourself. And we know there's a ripple effect there. Also, if you want to help us in other ways, really a practical way to do that is go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a rating or review. That really means a lot to me. I read all of those and it helps us grow and reach new leaders. So thank you to all of you that have already done that. And I uh, would really appreciate it if you're interested in doing that after you listen to this episode. But hey, without any further ado, let's jump into this cutting edge conversation with Ryan Gottfriedson. All right, Ryan, it's so great to have you back on the show, man. I, I really enjoyed our last conversation on mindsets, success mindsets. And now we're going to talk about the elevated leader. So I'm so pumped to have you back on, man. Yeah, thank Thanks for having me. And I, I've just kind of kept track of your podcast. In fact, uh, I think I've said this to you is when my first book launched, I think I was on over about a hundred podcasts and and I loved ours. Like it stood out to me. And I mean, part of it's because of who you are. And, but then I've also kept track of the podcast and you get such great guests on. So it's just an honor to be a part of uh, your guest list, I should say. Well, thank you, Ryan. And, um, you know, I, I loved preparing for this conversation um, because obviously I'm, I spent a lot of time just thinking about leadership, reading about leadership. But every time I engage with what you're doing, there's something fresh about it. And uh, so, elevated leader, let's just jump right in because we're going to run out of time. I tell us like what is the current landscape of leadership development right now? Um, because I think there's a lot, anyone that's listening probably is a part of a company or an organization that has some type of leadership development initiative. I'm just curious, like as you have done your research and as you work with companies, what is the type of feedback that people are giving about their leadership programs? Well, and it's not just my experience. It's there's statistics that are out there that effectively says leadership development is broken. Um, and this usually doesn't come as a surprise as people who are working in the leadership development space. I mean, let me give you a few t- statistics. Uh, 60% of employees say their direct leader damages their self-esteem. Ooh, wow. now, I don't know any leader that wakes up and says, I want to damage my employee's self-esteem, but it's happening. Yeah. Uh, 71% of organizations cannot agree that they believe that their current leaders are going to lead that organization successfully into the future. 71%. And 75% of organizations state that their leadership development programs are not very effective. So, I mean, we are, we are investing a lot in leadership development. And it, I would say at best, our typical efforts are incrementally helpful. And I kind of feel like I'm somewhat on a mission to transform this leadership development space uh, by introducing a a form of development that most people aren't aware of, but something that most people want. And that form of development is vertical development, and that differs from our more traditional horizontal development efforts. And it probably makes sense to define those. What do you think? Yeah, let's tell me me the difference, um, and then we'll dig into you know, where, where one shows up and where, and where one does it. But yeah, tell us the difference between horizontal and vertical development. Cause I, I'll tell you before 
I prepared for this. I did not know what vertical development. So there's probably a lot of people out there that have never heard of it or don't understand what it is. Yeah. So, and I, and I think it'll make sense to you. So horizontal development is adding new knowledge, skills, and capabilities to what we have. Right? And this is our typical form of development. You think about any high school or college class, we're trying to gain knowledge or skills. Or if I'm in the armed forces and I want to learn how to shoot a gun long range at 300 yards, I need to gain knowledge and skills in order to do that. And effectively, so horizontal development isn't bad. It's just our typical form of development. And it's kind of like adding an app onto an iPad, right? When we add an app onto an iPad, that broadens that iPad's functionality. I can now do more than what I could do previously. But it has a limitation, right? Because if I want, if I download the shooting at 300 yards or the how to balance a budget sheet apps onto my iPad, that doesn't necessarily improve my ability to navigate change, pressure, uncertainty, and complexity. Right? Grade our internal operating system. And that's what vertical development is all about. It's about upgrading our internal operating system. It's expanding our window of tolerance and it's improving our ability to make meaning of our world in more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated ways so that we can operate at a higher level than what we have previously. Does yeah, I, it does. Yeah, I um, I was reading a, in preparation for this. You one of the very simple ways you said it is you know when the focus areas for horizontal is doing more, and vertical is just being better. And so I, I do think, I do think that makes sense. So is is vertical development something that it was just recently created, or why why haven't people more people heard about it? Yeah, so it, it's the term vertical development is fairly new. It was coined okay. about 10 years ago. And, and there's been building work in this area. But the reality is, is that the concepts behind vertical development have been around since the 1960s. Hmm. And, and it actually has kind of been hidden in a field of study called developmental psychology. So developmental psychology primarily focuses on child development. And what we've learned is that and you see this, you've got a couple of children as children, they essentially, they develop right before our eyes. We can see it happening. And that's primarily the, re primarily the reason why they, they're focused on child development. And what we know is that as children go from infancy to adulthood, they go through different developmental stages and they do so pretty rapidly and they do so rather automatically. It's essentially a function of age. But in the 1960s, select developmental psychologists started to ask the question, do adults develop? And if so, do they go through different developmental stages? And what they found is that yes, adults do develop. Yes, there are different developmental stages, but that most adults don't actually develop during adulthood. Oh, wow. Um, so that suggests that our development in child development is automatic. It's a function of age. When we become adults, it's no longer a function of age. It now becomes a function of effort. Hmm. And so what they've actually identified is there's three primary adult development stages. And what they found is that 64% of all people stay at that entry level of, of vertical development. 35% go up to that second 
second level, and only one percent make it to the top level. And so I, you know, I, I guess I've got a new book coming out in October that's all about what is vertical development, what are these different vertical development levels, and how do we how do we elevate? So um, that that's the idea of vertical development because at each of these different levels, our body, our internal operating system, is programmed to fulfill different needs. And so it probably makes sense to kind of walk through those three different levels. But do you want to interject on anything there? Yeah, I, I know I do. I do want to go into those levels. I'm just, I guess I'm curious why, why is, and maybe you've already answered this, why is the leadership development so focused on horizontal versus vertical? Like why, why, why haven't we figured that you said it, I guess it was maybe recently coined somewhat recently corn vertical, but is there, why, why, yeah. Why are we so focused on horizontal versus vertical in the first place? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I, I, I don't think I have all the answers to it, but so, some perspectives to think about is, is it's just a continuation of what we know and what we're used to. Um, I think it's also because effectively what leaders ask for is just, they kind of just say, tell me what to do and I will go and do it. Mm -hmm. right? That's efficient. It's easy. Uh, but at the end of the day, while it can be helpful, it, it can never be transformational because to me, leadership is not about doing the right things. It's about being a certain type of person. And, and leaders are just not asking for help me to become better. In fact, most of the executives that I work with, it's they kind of, I would say most, not all, but most of the leaders kind of carry uh, an attitude of, I've already arrived, mm -hmm. right? And if, I, if that's my perception, um, whether I'm consciously holding that or not, I, I'm not sure we're very interested in improving our being if I already think I have arrived. I'm already where I need to be. So yeah, I don't know. Those are a few thoughts. Anything? Uh, well, I've always, I've always thought it was interesting. So when I think about my own journey, I, I often separate school life to adult life because in school, there was this sense of, of, of progress. You go from one grade to the next. And when you go to the next grade, you're validated that you've progressed. And then you get to college, same thing. You continue to go down this path. And then, you know, for me, it was law school. Um, but then at a certain point you get into life, into career and it's like, oh man, like I, I guess, you know, I got to figure this out now. And so, but then there are these kind of moments of validation if you get promoted, but you know, I've kind of, I guess John Maxwell talks about this a little bit. You, there's not, there could be a point where you're, you're getting promoted, but you haven't actually gotten any better. It's just a matter of, of, of the, the kind of that way things play out. So I do think that makes sense. I also thought it was fascinating in uh, in your white paper where a lot of the literature on neuroscience happened pre-2000 or came out post-2005. And a lot of the leadership material that we use to develop people was based on pre-2005. So we haven't really fully adopted neuroscience into a lot of our leadership instruction. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And, and that it's a game changer when we do that. It's just our traditional curriculum around leadership development just doesn't have it. And it's not because they they wanted to avoid it. It's just that we didn't know at the time. The our ability to study the mind, the brain, the our body's nervous system, it 
it just wasn't very sophisticated. So, yeah. I guess the other, the other just kind of area of curiosity, because I'm thinking a lot of the personal development of developing the being versus the doing, it seems like that would only happen in like a smaller setting, like a mentorship relationship, a coaching versus a larger leadership program. But are you, I guess, are you of the mind that you actually can make this more broadly applicable in a organizational leadership setting versus just like a one-on-one mentorship or coaching type relationship? Yeah. So I do think the more individualized effort, the more and the more quickly we could see progress in people improving their vertical altitude. But but I will say this is the first step of vertical development, in my opinion, is always awareness, a deepening of our mm-hmm. self-awareness, mm-hmm. awareness of what vertical development is. What are these different vertical development levels? Where am I at? It, that's I, I feel like that's got to happen first. And I think that can happen at a collective level. And here's what I've observed is that when I work with larger groups of leaders and we just focus on this awareness piece, there's probably about a third of leaders that are able to run with it. Like, and they, they're able to just on their own transform. There's another third that they kind of drag their feet. Uh, they've just got a little bit of blocks that's holding them back. And, and with a little bit of direction and a little bit of handholding, I think they're able to make some significant progress. But there's about a third of leaders who they can't do it on their own. Um, and that's not necessarily their fault. There's other things that are that are at play that I'm sure we'll get into. But but I think there's about a third of leaders that really need some deep individual help. But regardless, I think if we can do the individual work, they're gonna they're gonna vertically develop more quickly and more effectively. But I do think that there's still value at doing it at a, at a collective level. If, if we have the opportunity. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into the different levels. Tell us the different levels and, and the difference between the three. Yeah. And I call them um, Mind 1.0, Mind 2.0, and Mind 3.0 because they're meant to be representative of different internal operating systems. And, and so the base level, this Mind 1.0 level, um, th- this is where our body is programmed to fulfill the needs of safety, comfort, and belonging. We want safety, comfort, and belonging. And and so what we have a tendency to do at this level is we join groups or tribes that help us to feel safe, comfortable, and like we belong. And they protect us from threats to those things. And and generally, when we join these groups, and it could be a family, a social group, an employment context, a religion, a political group, whatever it might be, when we join these groups, we oftentimes say, okay, I don't want to be the one making the decisions. But if you tell me what to do, I will go and do it, provided you keep me safe, comfortable, and feeling like I belong. Mm -hmm. And and so I think mind 1.0 people, I think we could kind of classify them as good soldiers. Mm -hmm. They just kind of want to do what's told, um, but they don't necessarily want to take charge. And when we operate from this mode, we operate as more of a dependent thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just one of the characteristics of this. And again, this is where 64% research has found 64% of all adults operate at this level. Does that make sense to you? This mind 1.0? Yeah, it, it does. And I guess as we're talking through this, are people uh, kind of going in and out of these or is this a kind of a set, like I'm a mind 1.0 guy and 
that's just how I operate in all walks of life or are people kind of potentially going in and out of these different levels? Yeah. So I think we, we definitely have a default level that we operate. Okay. Got it. I, I do think we can get out of that default if the circumstances are right. Um, and, and so after I walk through these, these mind levels, um, I think I'll, I'll kind of summarize them by asking two different questions. And I think both of them are helpful. And one relates to kind of what you're asking. Okay. Yeah. About, but it's yeah. probably helpful to kind of walk through the other. Yeah. Mind 1.0 makes so. sense. Okay. So mind 2.0 is you're going to see a significant shift in our body's internal operating system. Here, our bodies are programmed to stand out, advance, and get ahead. In fact, we become willing to be unsafe, uncomfortable, and not belong in order to stand out, advance, and get ahead. Hmm. All right. So this is a complete shift of our internal operating system. And we're also shifting from being a dependent thinker to an independent thinker. We're now kind of standing up for our own beliefs. We're pushing against our tribe's beliefs. We, um, we develop our own opinions. And oftentimes when we do this, and I think it's a natural part of our development, people who get to that mind 2.0 level, they want to be leaders, mm-hmm. right? Because they independently hold these ideas. And they also recognize that there's a whole bunch of mind 1.0 people and if they that are willing to give their power and independence, and if they could harness that power and independence and employ them to work, then they could use those people to help them stand out, advance, and get ahead. Hmm. So 35% of all people operate here, but get this, 85% of executives operate at this level. Oh, wow. I, they kind of operate in this mode of, I've got my own opinions. I want to take charge. I want to help. I want to use other people to help me stand out, advance, and get ahead. Uh, and so that's that mind 2.0 level. And I call this level progress maker, or, or the people who operate at this level, they're progress makers. They're focused on outcomes, they're focused on goals, which is generally more short term oriented, but very justifiable in an employment context. That makes sense. And then mind 3.0. So mind 3.0 is again, we're going to see a shift in our in the needs that our body is programmed to fulfill. At this level, we're programmed to contribute, add value, and lift others. So it's not, we don't necessarily want to stand out, advance, and get ahead because that's really inward focused. At this mind 3.0 level, we're now outward. We want to contribute, add value, and lift others. And when we are here, We've developed this enough emo- cognitive and emotional sophistication such that we're not dependent thinkers and we're not independent thinkers. We are now interdependent thinkers. Mm. Um, it's very rare to find a mind 3.0, 3.0 person who, let's just take a political argument, for example. So we could take any political hot topic like abortion. Rarely are we ever going to find somebody in mind 3.0 on a polar edge of that continuum. And this is the reason why is because they actually like to embrace the complexity of the issue. They like to sit in the middle. They understand that there are pros and cons to both sides of the argument. And they really want to understand that before they make a, you know, take a stand. Sometimes they do take a stand. Sometimes they don't, but, but regardless, they're sitting in the messiness of that complexity. So Mm. that's one of the hallmarks of these people. I would say another hallmark is um, 
Mind 1.0 people, they want to stand in in the moment. Mind 2.0 people, they want to stand out in the moment. Like, look at me. Mind 3.0 people, they don't care about standing in or standing out in the moment. What they're focused on is on a bigger picture, a bigger purpose, something bigger than themselves and contributing to that. And when we look at the most transformational leaders, I would say kind of of any time, but I'll point on some that are more recent, people like Satya Nadella at Microsoft, Alan Mulally at Ford, um, Indra Nui at Pepsi, Reed Hoffman at, at Netflix, or Ed Catmull at Disney Animation. Any place where we see dramatic transformation occur, and then at the root of that is, a, is usually a mind 3.0 leader um, who's able to make that transformation because they connect to a bigger purpose as opposed to the short term, are we hitting our numbers? Like that's the Jack Welsh leadership, right? Jack Welsh to me is mind 2.0. I don't think you would ever have a mind 3.0 person that writes a book titled winning, right? <laughs> this is a progress maker. And we kind of see the effect that he's now had on, on mm-hmm. GE and hindsight. So that's the mind 3.0 level is contribution, adding value and lifting others. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it's fascinating. I love the way you break it out. I mean, the, the natural question for me and maybe for many people is, okay, how do I how do I do this? How do I, let's say I'm a mind 1.0 or I'm a mind 2.0 and I've kind of done a little self-assessment. Um, how do I get to that next level? And maybe we go there now, Ryan, or, or maybe the better question as I'm kind of thinking this through is, well, how do I figure out where I'm at? Um, so yeah. maybe that's the starting point. But yeah, I would love to know, how do I figure out where I'm at? And then obviously, how do I how do I make progress in this area? Because it seems to me, as we're having this discussion, it's not just a product of age and it's not just a product of education. There's got to be something more. So yeah. No, you're spot on. So what I think, and I'm biased, of course, but I think that there's a huge amount of power in just understanding these levels and putting mm-hmm. labels to them. Because you're spot on, because it gets us to ask one initial question, and that is, okay, well, what's my vertical altitude? <laughs> yeah, and there's I? just not a lot of people asking that question. Mm-hmm. And so that that to me, that's huge. But I don't think that's the best question to ask, because as you alluded to earlier, I, I don't know about you, but I kind of see all mind levels in myself. Mm-hmm. And so the next question that we ask ourselves, which I think is a little bit better, is what is my center of gravity? What percentage of my time am I spending in each of these mind levels? And what am I doing on a daily basis to get into that mind 3.0 mode and then stay there? Because uh, I don't think that happens by chance. That really only happens by intentionality. Because again, what we see is 64% of all people are in mind 1.0. That means 36%. If we've got a group of 100 people, 36 of them will level up and get to mind 2.0. That's one, one out of every three will get there. That next leap up, only one out of those 36 makes wow. that next jump. Wow. Right? And that's and, and I think there's a variety of reasons for that, but but that's that's where I think we all aspire to be, myself included. And I'm not sure I'm there yet but I'm working on it. And so that's then 
to your point is, okay, what do we do? How do we go about elevating? And we, we could head there unless you have any other thoughts. Well, I guess real quick, just to make sure it's, it's crystal clear. How do people, how do you recommend people figure out where they're at or what their center of gravity is? Yeah. Well, um, I tried, uh, so I put together an assessment for people to, oh, to try to get okay. a sense of this. So if you were to go to my website, ryangottfordson.com, um, and then specifically, it's forward slash vertical dash development uh, dash assessment. And then you it's a 15 question assessment should take less than 10 minutes. And it's designed to help people do that. Um, and then I've got my new book coming out. So I'm trying to kind of flood yeah. Yeah. Um, the space to help people to, to go to do that self-awareness vertical development journey. Yeah, that that will one. I'll put a link to that in the show notes this episode, so people can find it easily. Do you think there's also an element of uh, you know the people around you helping you understand? Like, like let's say Ryan, you were to follow me around for a week. Like, do you think? I mean, obviously, you've spent a lot of time thinking about this, so you're you know you're an expert. But is this something that people observing you would notice and see? and be able to maybe help you identify? Do you think that's also maybe a helpful aspect or is that not going to really give you what you need to really understand your center of gravity? Yeah, it's, I'm not sure it's enough. And here's why. Let me give you an example. Um, How would you say most people respond to constructive criticism? Ooh, um, I think most people struggle with constructive criticism in general, from what I've seen. I think most people get pretty defensive unless they're pretty healthy, um, unless they've Mm -hmm. got a pretty strong sense of self. Um, Yeah. The the word healthy comes to mind. I think of there's there's people that are very talented, but maybe not the healthiest. And I find myself in that category sometimes too, when I'm maybe not in a healthy space, I'm not as able, tired or, or worn out. You know, anyway, I think most people struggle with it though. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of depth with that healthy comment for sure. And I want to come back to that, but, but to your point is I think most people get defensive, right. And, and they put up a shield. Why <laughs> would we ever put up a shield? It's if we feel like we are getting attacked. <laughs> so most people make meaning of constructive criticism as though they are getting attacked and therefore they get defensive. And, and that's justifiable. But here's the thing is, I'm not sure I would call that very cognitively and emotionally sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, that's not very vertically developed. Um, the next level up might be, it depends on who delivers it and how they deliver it. Mm-hmm. Right? That feels a little bit more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated. But I think the most cognitively and emotionally sophisticated people, they say, I enjoy constructive criticism because it's an opportunity for me to learn and grow. Hmm. And therefore, they're more inclined to embrace it. And and to your point and kind of around healthy is they're in this mental space where they are good with being told that they are bad. (laughs) And it's just not easy to get there. And so when you've got a mind 3.0 person who actually likes constructive criticism and uh, and even asks for it and embraces it... um, they also understand why a mind 1.0 person gets defensive Mm -hmm. because they've been there before. Yeah. But when a mind 1.0 person is talking to a mind 3.0 person and they hear the mind 3.0 person say, 
oh, I love constructive criticism. Bring it on. Mm -hmm. The mind 1.0 person is like, oh my goodness, you are out of your mind. How how could anybody ever think this way? Yeah. Or you're lying. Mind (laughs) 3.0 people. Yeah. They can relate to people below them, but those at those lower levels have a hard time even fathoming where people are coming from at that mind 3.0 level because they haven't been there. And so when you say, if I'm walking around and following mind 3.0 people, I think we'll notice that there's a difference, but I'm not sure we'll feel like that's where I want to go because that feels so foreign to, to where we're currently at. Does that make sense? No, no, it does. And I guess too, that, you know, there's a, there's a level of depth that comes from the own self-assessment because I could maybe externally project that I'm receiving feedback well. But internally, I'm a I'm a mess. You know, I'm I'm defending myself. I'm not actually receiving it. I'm just projecting something good on the outside. Um, so yeah, I think that that's helpful. So all right, well, let's jump into how do people do this. So how can we go? How what are some practical things that people can think about or do to begin to develop vertically as we're kind of wrapping up here? And then, well, I guess we got about ten minutes left. But I, yeah, I'm just I'd like to definitely get to some of the practical things that people can go and start doing to improve in in these areas. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to, I'm going to delay part of the answer to your question because you're emphasizing practical. Okay. And I think there's, I think there's value at staying still a little bit more theoretical. Yeah. 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 um, Because then that will help us better understand the practical. So um, here, if we define vertical development as elevating our ability to make meaning of our world in more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated ways, mm-hmm. right? How we make meaning of, of constructive criticism, right? So right. Um, if we define it in that way, then it suggests therein is the key is if we want to vertically develop, we've got to improve how we make meaning of the world around us. Well, what are our meaning makers? Our meaning makers are our mindsets, the mental lenses that shape how we view the world around us, right? How do we see and make meaning of constructive criticism? Or how do we see and make meaning of failure or disagreement or risk or uh, challenges, right? People make meaning of these different things with different levels of cognitive and emotional sophistication. And so um, when we understand that, perspective, which isn't the only perspective to take. Um, But when we understand that perspective, that suggests that really where the rubber meets the road is is on awakening to and improving our mindsets. Hmm. And so that's kind of where my first was all about is what mindsets are out there? What mindsets do I have? How do I awaken to them? And how do I improve them? So in hindsight, I wish I would have written my new book, The Elevated Leader First, and then Success Mindsets is the natural <laughs> sequel. Um, but that's that's the key. And, and, and I guess my experience in seeing leadership development programs is mindsets oftentimes isn't a part of the conversation. Hmm. Um, and be partly because people don't know what mindsets are out there, what mindsets they need to focus on. And we've got 50 years of research that are that have kind of taught us those things. And so to me, that's that's the primary way that I help leaders and organizations develop their leaders is I help them vertically develop primarily through a focus on mindsets. Um, and so if we can, and that's this, we're, we're moving inward um, and deepening our self-awareness about the mental lenses that we're carrying around. 
First, Ryan, I, I forgot to mention this, but congrats on your huge success with Success Mindsets. I <laughs> USA Today best-selling author, um, you know, just incredible Wall Street Journal best-selling author. Um, so congrats on that. Um, I'm sorry I didn't mention that Thank earlier. Um, I meant to. So I guess how do how does one go about improving their their mindsets and that's kind of a lazy question it's it's maybe a little too general but you know for someone who has maybe hearing about that for the first time oh yeah cool let's do that Ryan what does that even look like what would yeah. you say to them how would you kind of intro that and then maybe we can get into some more specifics but just generally speaking what does that even look like yeah so i think the the process is first awareness to me it's mm -hmm. always awareness so we got to become aware of the current quality of our mindsets and I've got a mind, shouldn't surprise you, I've got a mindset assessment uh, that people could take uh, on my website and, and it assesses us on four different sets of mindsets. And so generally when, and what I've found is that I've had 30,000 people take the mindset assessment, only 2.5% are in the top quartile for all four sets of mindsets. Hmm. So what that means is most of us have some mindset work to do. And so normally my, my approach, and there's a variety of other resources on my website, is let's identify one mindset to focus on first, and let's develop a plan around that. And what we need to understand about vertical development and about mindsets is it's about our body's neurological system. Because ultimately what our mindsets really are at a neurological level is they are specific neural pathways in our brain. And our neural pathways are a lot like our muscles. The more we use them, the stronger they become. And so if we want to change our mindsets, that just essentially means we need to hit the gym for our mind. We need to exercise those positive mindsets. And so we don't need to go into detail on, uh, on all the ways we can do that, but, but there's resources on my website and in my book uh, that, that's designed to help people do that. But it's as simple as reading books, watching videos, having discussions, journaling, um, self-affirmations. Those are all, have all been empirically proven to improve our mindsets, both in the short and the long-term. There was one thing, I don't remember where I heard you say this. Uh, it may have been a video, it may have been an interview you did, but it was something to the effect of, you know, we, before we can really make a lot of progress, leaders in some ways have to heal. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me about that I, because that that stood out to me. This idea of needing to heal heal from something um, as a leader that's that almost sounds kind of mushy, um, but yeah. What 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 are you thinking about when you when you talk about that? Yeah, and to me, this is the most meaningful aspect uh, about my new book is is that the core of vertical development really is healing our body, healing our body's nervous system. So here's, here's what we've learned is almost all adults, they're estimating 80% of adults have experienced some form of trauma that has negatively impacted their body's nervous system. And when I think about trauma, it's not just a certain event. It is experiencing stress that exceeds our body's capacity to deal with that stress effectively. And when that occurs, our body has to go through drastic measures to protect ourselves in those moments. And, and in those moments, our body's nervous system literally changes and gets rewired and not for the positive. Hmm. 
naturally when people experience trauma, they become more self-protective, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's mine 1.0. That's, yeah, mine that's 2. classic. 0. My point. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's self-protection and it, and it feels natural and mm-hmm. it feels right because it's, it's the, it's a consequence of that trauma. And it's our body's try our body trying to make sure this doesn't happen again. But those neurological changes continue to affect us throughout our lives unless we seek healing from those. Hmm. So let me give you an, an example of this. Um, I, I was um, working with the CEO and I, he's the founder of an organization and he's over the last five years grown it to a thousand employees. And I asked him, why did you start your business? And his response was to prove others wrong, Hmm. which immediately I'm like, okay, I get the sense you're not quite operating from the right foundation, right? I'm not going to say it's a terrible foundation, but to me, it screams mind 2.0. Yeah. Right. I want to succeed so that I prove others wrong. Yeah. Um, and later in the call, he was able to get to a really vulnerable place, vulnerable place, which is awesome. And he said, I try not to let anyone know this, but deep down, I'm a really insecure person. Mm, yeah. Right? Immediately, what that says to me is he's been through something. I don't know what he's been through, mm-hmm. but it's left him feeling like he isn't of worth. Mm-hmm. And, and as, if he continues to feel like he's not of worth, He's not, he's operating in, at, you know, at best at that mind 2.0 level hmm. because he's, he's driven to fill the void that comes from within. Mm-hmm. And it's not until he heals that inner void, whatever caused it and whatever happened, he's got to heal that first before he could ever get up to that mind 3.0 level, which I believe is what he aspires to do. And, and you know, what that looks like is going to look like different things for different people. But I would say for myself is I've spent uh, the last 18 months personally working with a trauma therapist, Hmm. um, trying to unpack my my own past trauma, how that's affect me. And I would say working with the trauma therapist over the last 18 months, I feel like I have grown more in the last 18 months than the prior 15 years. Oh, wow. And I felt like I did a decent (laughs) amount of personal development work during that time. It's just been, it's been a game changer um, to do that. And I, I just don't think that I'm alone. Uh, Surely I'm not alone given the statistics of having trauma that, that impedes. Here's how it shows up. Trauma shows up in leadership is when stress occurs, we pull inward and we do what helps us feel better. And oftentimes what makes us feel better is detrimental to those that we lead. Hmm. And this is exactly why we see this statistic. 60% of employees say that their direct leader damages their self-esteem. Hmm. Not because the leaders intend to. It's just in moments of stress, they protect themselves and they leave their people out to dry. And that's that's a self-protection mechanism that's rooted back in some form of past trauma. So to me, that's that's the hopefully the beautiful message that comes even out of this conversation is that if we want to elevate, we, we've actually got to heal ourselves. And, and yeah. to me, that's that's a beautiful message. I agree, Ryan. And, and, and thanks for sharing 
that your journey uh, over the past 18 months. And I, I'm glad that we as a society are getting more comfortable talking about therapy. Uh, I think we all need it personally. That's just my my view. And I think we probably, uh, you know, there's just so much. And, and I, as I, as you were talking, I was thinking about my own journey and wondering if I have trauma that I haven't dealt with. Um, and it made me wonder if most people have trauma in their life that they haven't dealt with. Because I, I also started to think, well, maybe, you know, maybe he's talking about very significant types of trauma that uh, we all perhaps think of when we think of trauma, like uh, a soldier in battle who has experienced the death of a friend or been shot at, or, you know, in my line of work as a prosecutor, you know, we see a lot of sexual abuse, unfortunately, or significant crimes committed against uh, individuals. Um, so those are like really big. And, and thankfully, like for me, my trauma is probably less those things and more, I don't know, like, Hey, I, my parents got divorced or, you know, struggled with, you know, the custody situation. I mean, there's little, little, I say little, but like probably really big for me, but maybe on the grand yeah. scale, you know, so I'm just wondering. Well, yeah, let me, let me bring this to life. So let me open, open up my story a little bit more as my parents never got divorced. They were always there for me. Um, Physically, they went to every basketball game I ever played. But what I've discovered working with my therapist is that my parents were never there for me emotionally. Mm. So I was never abused, right. um, but I was neglected. Yeah. And everything, uh, all the research on neglect has found that it is as bad, if not worse, than physical abuse in terms of the negative effects that it can have on people um, and, and how they kind of their bodies become wired, their nervous system. And so I started my trauma therapy not thinking that I had trauma. <laughs> and very quickly, we honed in on it. And there's, there's you know, several, of course, instances that stand out where my parents were just, they didn't yeah. comfort me when they should have. And yeah. very at a very early age, I learned that I was on my own emotionally. And that that I now see plays out in all of my relationships with my mm. wife, with my kids, with my coworkers is and part of the way it does is I'm an incredibly independent person. Yeah. Yeah. Because I I had to be I don't need to anybody. Survive yeah, my childhood. Right, right. Yeah. And, and and you know that has some that has some pros. Sure. It also has some huge cons and, yeah. and that's I think that's been one of the biggest benefits of my trauma therapy is I feel like I'm in a place where I could better connect with others yeah. than ever before. Like I, I guess I've realized that I have trust issues and I didn't mm. know that yeah. before. Um, and so <laughs> now, so now I feel like I'm able to work through that in a productive way. That's so good. Yeah. And I, someone, I can't remember who said this, but it stuck with me. Just the idea that if you really deal with your trauma or your issues in your thirties and forties, perhaps earlier than your fifties and six, like you're later on in life, like life can be so rich, but if you don't deal with some of these things early, then you might pass them on to your kids even more than you probably already do, or, you know, any of us already do. And, and then you probably are going to have to deal with them at some point because it's going to come to a head versus yeah. confronting them, them head on. So I think that's such a great message. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that you go there in the book. I can't wait to get a copy. We've got zero minutes left. 
Um, <laughs> but tell us as we're just like wrapping up here the last few seconds, yeah. Ryan, where can people, when can people get the book? Where can they get it? And anything else you want them to know about how they can follow you and your work? Yeah. Well, and I would love to connect with anybody as well. So uh, book is available for pre-order. Uh, launch date is October 11th. If you really wanted a copy, let me know. I just got my first advanced copies. It's going to be in uh, paperback, ebook, audiobook. Um, and then my website, ryangodfordson.com, hopefully is a good place. And I'm happy to connect with anybody on LinkedIn. So uh, awesome. those are probably the best venues. Well, Ryan, it's a pleasure again to connect great job on this work. I'm so excited to get my hands on the book, read it. And uh, thanks for sharing this message with the audience today. No, thanks for connecting. And thanks for allowing me to come back on the show. It means a lot. It means I'm, maybe I did something right the first time around. So oh, absolutely. Good. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ryan Godfordson. I just like I said, I always enjoy him coming on. I always enjoy talking to him. His material is so fresh and so helpful. And man, I feel like the more I go throughout life, the more I do realize so much of where I can improve myself, so much of where I can lead myself is in my mind. We are, we are stuck with our minds, the thoughts that go into our brains, the, the thoughts that we allow to, to just sit there and marinate the stories we tell ourselves. And it, it makes sense that if we wanna really improve ourselves, our operating system, that all of that would be in our minds and how we make meaning of the world. Uh, remember, so we talked about Mind 1.0. Those are those that really wanna seek safety, comfort, and belonging. This makes up about 64% of people, more the dependent thinkers. And then you can elevate, we can elevate to Mind 2.0, where we're now we're wanting to stand out, we're wanting to advance, get ahead. We're shifting our operating system. We're becoming more independent thinkers. We wanna be leaders. But still, there's more to that, and we can we can make our hopefully we can make our way up to Mind 3.0, where we want to contribute, we want to add value, we want to lift others up. I encourage you go take any of those two assessments. If you haven't done the the mindset assessment, I encourage you to do that, and then also take the second one where you can figure out your center of gravity. Again, both of those links are in the show notes of this episode. I also just really appreciated what he had to say about his own experience the last 18 months going through some are meeting with a trauma therapist and the significant benefits that that has had. Uh, that's actually encouraging me to maybe pursue some, some therapy um, because I think we all probably need at least some therapy. And I do think it's better to deal with those things earlier rather than later in life. We're going to deal with them inevitably. It's just whether we deal with them uh, on our own terms and in a healthy way, or if we just kind of see the effects in our life over time. Uh, we're all becoming someone and hopefully we're becoming more a person of love and peace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. We're becoming more the type of person that we want to become. I think that's a big part of self-leadership. It's not a moment. It is something that happens over time. And, but we have to be very intentional about the type of person that we're wanting to become. If we want to become the type of person down the road that uh, is kind of our highest self, the, the, our first principles, the things that we value the most, those eulogy virtues versus resume virtues as David Brooks talks about. So hope you enjoyed this conversation. I really, I really did. Uh, again, if you really want to support us, go leave a rating review on Apple or Spotify. That really helps. And I hope you go today and, and continue to lead yourself well, continue to influence, inspire, 
and, and encourage the people in your sphere of influence. And remember, life is short, so let's go make it count.